0: Well, I thought we were going to have an old time in the dark service, but I believe we have like, anybody remember the uh, church fans that laid on all the pews and when we didn't have all these modern, I mean, it was, it was like a whirlwind in there when everybody got those fans going. You didn't need air conditioning. Thank the Lord for modern conveniences. So we're in uh, Matthew 17 today, and uh, I'm going to finish that out, actually. Uh, we uh, tend to get on some passages and uh, we don't go all that far, which is a good thing. I think we need to really dig into the Word and study it. Um, there's three fairly short parts to this that uh, I want to be sure we get to, and uh, we're going to go over that, seventeen uh, 14 through 27. What we're going to cover let's open in prayer father we just come to you lord we just thank you uh so much for the rain uh it's been prayed for it's been needed um we just uh thank you that the power's back on we just uh, pray for those that were dealing with loss of power but father we just come to you now we just want to be humble before you we want to glorify you we want to honor you in your word we want to uh uh, take ourselves out of it, Lord, and just be uh, open to what you say. Just pray that the words I say uh, are what you have given me today, Lord, and that's not about me. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm gonna go ahead and read, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna look at three different parts of Matthew 17 as we finish this out. We're gonna look, look at effective versus defective faith. And then we're going to see where Jesus again foretells His impending death and resurrection. <clears throat> and then the last part is the temple tax and Jesus' response to Peter through this. So I'll read Matthew seventeen fourteen through 20. It says, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of of him, and the boy was healed instantly. And the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So we have this unidentified man that comes to Jesus, and he's asking for healing and mercy on his son who suffers from seizures. Uh, he falls in fire, he falls into water. And uh, Jesus, he comes and he expects him to be able to solve the problem that Jesus' disciples couldn't solve, cast out the demon, heal my son. Jesus' response and, and if we if we look at that sometimes we may think well Jesus is uh, he's kind of upset here or, or kind of angry here but he's really making a statement with what he says he says the generation his generation, those around him are faithless and twisted they're faithless because they don't see him as the Messiah they're still looking for somebody different somebody that fits their mold of what the Messiah should be so that's why they're twisted. They're twisted because of their distorted view. But the disciples were not faithless. He's not saying that they're faithless. They certainly had an understanding of who Jesus was. Remember back in 16, Peter declares Him the Son of the living God. He's the Christ. So they know that He's the Christ, but um, He's been given them the power to uh, perform miracles and healings. But their faith was still weak. Because the demon was bigger than their faith. And uh, he rebukes the disciples a number of times during his ministry for their lack of faith. So, you know, hes they come to him and it's like, well, why couldn't we do it? Well, your faith's not big enough yet. And uh, if you look at, uh, somebody have a King James Version. There's a, there's a verse 21 that's not in everybody's Bible, depending on the, the translation that you have. And I'm not going to go into all the reasons why or why not that's in there. It has to do with the older manuscripts and the better manuscripts. Um, But so that's a whole study for if you want to study that, that's a whole study for another time. Why that's not in there. But if you turn to Mark chapter nine. Mark tells the story um, with a little more detail. If you start 9.14, and let's see, let's skip down to... Uh, well, let's just read from 14. So when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit... That makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answers them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Some versions say prayer and fasting. If you have 21 in Matthew 17, it will say prayer and fasting. So even though they had been given power by Jesus to perform miracles, to do healings and all these things, it still depended on the amount of faith that they had. So we don't exactly know what it was that pre- prevented them But it was a lack of faith. So were they not in the right... Did they not pray it up? You know, we're to to pray. Uh, We're to be prepared. When we face evil, we're to be prepared in the power of Christ. So for whatever their reason was, he's he's saying, you know, it's your lack of faith. So several times in Matthew or in the Scriptures where Jesus rebukes them for their lack of faith. Matthew 6.30 it talks about worry so but if god so clothes the grass of the field why to which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven will he not much more clothe you o oh, you of little faith so what's that say about worry it says we need to increase our faith and not let not let worry slip in not have weak faith matthew 826 and he said to them why are you afraid o oh, you of little faith Then He rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Remember, they're on the boat. Jesus is resting. Seas get crazy, and hey, oh my gosh, we're all going to drown. Where's their faith? They forgot who they're in the boat with. You know, sometimes I think we get tossed about and we forget, you know, Christ is with us in the boat. Don't forget that. Don't lose track of that. Matthew 14, 31, Jesus immediately reached out His hand and took hold of Him, saying to Him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? There's kind of a theme going on here with the disciples and in his rebukes to them, Christ's rebukes to them. So this is Peter out on the water, you know, well, good old Peter, Jesus walking on the water. Hey, I can do that. Christ is He you know, He He gives me the power to do that. Until you start your faith starts getting weak and you start letting other things start getting in there, don't you know, keep your faith strong. So once again, oh you of little faith, he starts to sing. In Matthew, uh, <clears throat> Matthew 16, 8, Jesus aware of this said, oh you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Now, if you go back to this context, he's talking about the leaven of the Pharisees, and they immediately start talking about the fact they don't have any bread. And he's like, That's not what I'm talking about here. You know, oh, you have little faith. I'm talking about the leaven being the Pharisees, not talking about bread. So Jesus begins to explain to them that even faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. And we've talked about a lot of times, you know, how small a mustard seed is. It's it's a tiny, tiny little seed that grows up a big plant. And... um, So if he's saying that if you have your faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains, what's that really saying to the disciples about their faith right now? It's pretty small and smaller than that, right? Moving a mountain was a common metaphor in uh, Jewish literature for doing something impossible. The Jews believed that mountains were deeply rooted in the earth and could not be moved. So when he's saying to them, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move a mountain... He's basically saying you can do the impossible. In the eyes of man, you can do the impossible. Because if, to a Jew, to say that was, that's impossible. You can't move a mountain, Lord. Yes. If your faith, I'm giving you this power, if your faith is big enough, small as a mustard seed even, you can move a mountain. There's several places in, um, in scripture that talk about moving mountains or leveling mountains. Uh, a couple of them are, Isaiah 5410, uh, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not be- depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So in Isaiah, you know, God's telling them that no matter what happens, even the impossible moving of a mountain or the mountains are leveled, that's how, that's how great my love is for you people that I, I love you more than the impossible. Matthew twenty one, twenty one and 22, which we'll get to down the road. And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, remember he curses the fig tree and the fig tree withers, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it'll happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So the whole theme is, you know, the disciples need to grow their faith. They need to have faith. You know, they're seeing what's going on. They're following Jesus. They see the miracles. Now they've been given power to do these things. But the faith is what, uh, the faith is what makes the engine run, basically. That's what makes it work. So, We need to exercise our faith as we walk with God and see it strengthen and grow. Um, So when you're looking at the mountains, how can we develop mountain-moving faith? Um, First of all, place your faith in God, in God alone. Size up the mountain that's in front of you. And then surrender it all to God. Take action. Wait a minute, I just said surrender it all to God. You don't surrender it all to God and sit back and say, all right, God, you got this. Move that mountain for me. That's not what, that's not what scripture says. We're to have our, put all of our faith in God, not ourselves. So as long as we're doing that and we're not saying, well, you know, God, you can help me with this part, but I got this. I I can handle this part. No, no. It's all God's. Put it all, put it all to God. Surrender it all to God. But don't just stand there, because God calls us to action. We were saved by grace through faith, right? But if you look at the end of that, to do good works. So there's there's not this, hey, you know, I'm saved, everything's cool, God's going to cover it. I'm just going to set back. We have to put feet to our faith. So take action. And then stay the course. James 2.14 says, What good is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Now there's a whole study and people that get confused about what that's saying, and James is saying, James is not saying we have to do works to get saved, but he's saying if we're saved, we're going to do works, and we're going to take action. And then stay in the course... um, which we're studying in Jason's class now, but we'll, and we'll get there, Jacob, probably next year. Galatians 6, <laughs> we're in 3. But Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So, um, don't give up. Put your faith in God. Put your trust in God. Listen to God. Take action. And don't give up. Uh, there, There are people that I know in this group and myself, we prayed for their salvation for years and years and years. But it's God's timing. And it's God's timing and it's God's will whether they come to Christ or not. But we are not to give up. So at the end of it, I said, look at your mountain, size it up, take these steps. And in the end, your faith may move the mountain or... Your faith may grow to the point that the mountain doesn't look so big anymore. Then we skip into the next section, Matthew seventeen, twenty-two, and 23. It says, As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, this is why this and glasses didn't work well, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him, and He will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Now, I just told them not too long ago, chapter 16, this is going to happen. They were distressed. He's telling them again. So, this is the second time in Matthew he tells the disciples of his impending death and resurrection. This time, however, he reveals that his death will come through betrayal. Once again, the disciples are distressed at the news, and Jesus reveals his future to them twice more in Matthew Matthew twenty six one and two, when Jesus had finished all these <clears throat> sayings, he said to his disciples, "You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified." So if you look at each of those scriptures, first he tells them in sixteen, he says, "I'm going to die. I'm going to raise. I'm going to rise again." Then he adds more to that. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to be. That's going to, happen. okay. Then he tells him the third time that he's going to be he's going to be crucified. And so wait a minute, Jesus. You know we're 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 dealing with this whole thing that you're going to die. Now somebody's going to betray you. Now it's crucifixion. It just gets a little more filled out all the time. And then the last thing he says after two days, Passover's coming. I'm going to be delivered up to be crucified. Now he gives him a timeline, so at that point, there's no more well, you know, he's talking about the future sometime this is going to happen. We've been together three years, you know no, we're going to Jerusalem. Passover's coming in two days, it's going to happen. So he tells them, he tells them what, he tells them how, and he tells them when. And they're still distressed every time, not ready for it. So the last part of Matthew 17:24 to 27 talks about uh the temple tax. So it says when they <clears throat> when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and says, "Does your teacher not pay the tax?" He said, "Yes." And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, "What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others?" And when he said from others Jesus said to him then the sons are free however do not not to give offense to them go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up and when you open its mouth you will find a shekel take that and give it to them for me and for yourself so the two drachma tax goes back to the old testament when each man over the age of 20 was to give a half a shekel offering for support of the tabernacle it had been later applied to the temple in Jesus' day. And uh, Exodus 30, 11-16, uh, if you want to turn there, you can, um, kind of gives us a background of where this tax came from. The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom of his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this. A half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel is 20 geras, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more. The poor shall not give less than the half shekel. When you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives, you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting. That it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. So there's a there's a rich tradition of this census tax that goes back to to Moses' time, and then they had taken it into um, taking it into the temple from the tabernacle into Jesus' time. And if you if you study ahead uh, in like AD seventy. Uh, after the destruction of the temple, um, you see that tax still being imposed, but the tax is actually going to the Romans, and it's going to a a pagan god. So there's that's a whole mess (laughs) with this tax as it goes forward. So why did the tax collectors go to Peter instead of Jesus? We don't know for sure, but it could have been because of Jesus' popularity as a teacher, uh their deference to him as who for who they understood who he was. Or perhaps God wanted Peter to learn a lesson more directly because it's all about Jesus in this case and Peter. Jesus asked the question of Peter, who pays the tax? Well not not the king and his family. They don't pay the tax. The the other people pay the tax, right? So Peter answers incorrectly, but since the house is God's, then his son, Jesus, is exempt from the tax. Also, those who have been adopted into his family are exempt from the tax as well, and therefore no longer under the law. So question, did Jesus keep the law? Not talking about the law of the Pharisees and Sadducees. I'm talking about God's law. Did Jesus keep God's law? Perfectly. So what is the law, what is the law for? The law points, for us, points us to our sin, points us to our inadequacy before God, shows us that we can never fully keep the law, no matter how hard we try. Because if we break one thing, we've broken all the law. So yes, Jesus kept the law. Perfectly. So, he's telling Peter, alright, so, who pays the tax? The king and his family? No. Since this house is God's house, and I am God's son, and you are part of my family in this house, we are not under the law to pay the tax. But Jesus, however, instructs Peter to pay the tax for them, so as not to cause offense. So, he's saying, okay, You know, we're not under this, but we're gonna go ahead as to not cause offense and cause a stumbling block. You know, it's important that when we're reaching people, you know, if we look through the scriptures and we look through Jesus' ministry, he wasn't too worried about offending people like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and but it's interesting to see here that Jesus says, So not to cause an offense or a stumbling block, Peter, we're gonna pay the tax. But here's how we're gonna do it. Um, catch that first fish. When you pull that first fish out, there's going to be a shekel in its mouth. Our tax is a half a shekel each, so guess what? That covers it, right? So Jesus has Peter pay the tax, but He provides the money in a miraculous way, leaving no doubt about His sovereignty in the situation. So we can't say, "Well, well, that was that was quite a coincidence." Peter went and caught a fish. Guess what was in its mouth? No. he instructs him to go and catch that. Now, whether Jesus had the fish pick the shekel up off the bottom of the sea and bring it up, I don't know. Or he miraculously produced it in his mouth when Peter pulled it out. We, we don't know that, but it shows God's sovereignty. God is on his throne. Jesus says, I and the Father, I and the Father are one in John 10.30. That means Jesus is God. So that's where the temple tax comes in. So we're no longer under that law. So what about us today? What about you? Do you need a faith checkup? Is it time to truly exercise your faith and experience a closer walk with God? What mountains are you facing today? We're all facing mountains um, of some sort or another. If you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, and he's spoken to your heart today, I ask you to listen. You can be set free from the curse of sin no matter what you've done. So many people say, I'm just too bad. I'm too bad to come to Christ. I've done too many things. That's not how it works. That's just not how it works. You can be the worst person on the face of the earth in your eyes, but you're made in the image of God and salvation's for everyone that calls on the name of Jesus. As believers, we're all sinners saved by the blood of Christ no longer under the law. But we're daughters and sons of the kingdom, and um, we have we have been adopted. You know, I I I thought about what Rod was talking about, singing and the music, and uh, my grandmother's cigarettes. Her her husband, my grandfather, died when I was about six, I guess. And in the garden was a song that was played at his funeral. And she was 96 when she died, and every time we sang that song to the day she died, she had a tear in her eye. So those those words mean something. Those emotions mean something. Um, Our fellowship together means something. Our singing together, our worshiping together, our studying together, those are precious in the eyes of the Lord. That we are one in in the body of believers. Uh, living together bearing with one another which I know sometimes I'm hard to bear with but uh, but that is that is true Christian living and uh, as I said if, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior and, and you're feeling that pull at your heart that's him that's him knocking at the door asking you to come to salvation through Christ so please don't ignore that um we don't know in our lives how many times he's going to knock on the door or when he gives up, when he says, you're not coming. I'm. So we don't know that. He knows that, but we don't know that. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you, Lord. We thank you that your word is true, your word is perfect. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you are the perfect example of, of living um, the, through the law and also, Lord, that you abolished our, our hold under that through your grace, through your death and salvation, or death and resurrection and our salvation. Lord, we, uh, we just look around, Lord, we see, uh, so many opportunities to share the gospel. We see so many lost people. And, um, and Lord, you have called us, Lord, to to action, not to set back and just uh, count on you to do it all for us, Lord. You know, you've given us feet, you've given us a brain to think and a mouth to speak, Lord, and, and hands to do, and and uh, these are important, Lord, to to serve you, um, Lord. But let us do it in the proper manner, let us do it, giving it all to you. Lord, I just pray for those mountains before us. I pray that, uh, Lord, if if it be that we don't have that mountain moved, that uh, we'll see how small it really is compared to your grace and mercy. I just thank you for each and every one here. I just thank you for this family of believers that I've been placed in, Lord. And I just uh, continue to uh, just lift them up to you that we would grow and mature in you and uh, that we would glorify and honor you in everything that we do. I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.